0: I want you to take a minute, and I want you to think about someone who drives you bonkers. (laughs) Someone who just makes you a little crazy. Maybe it's somebody who likes gifts too much. Maybe it's somebody who says the word GIF instead of JIF. (laughs) Please don't elbow the person next to you. But I want you to think, who right now in your life is driving you crazy, making you mad? You can hardly stand to be in their presence. We all have them. If you don't have one, ask me. I have more than one. I can share one with you. But I want you to think about this person. What is it that drives you nuts about this person? What is it that is making you so angry, so upset, just driving you bonkers? And I want you to think about this question. What if they're doing the best they can? What if they're doing the best they can right now? Brene Brown said the most compassionate people assume that other people are doing the best they can. I live the opposite way. I assume that people weren't doing their best, so I judged them and constantly fought being disappointed. My life is better when I assume that people are doing their best. It keeps me out of judgment and lets me focus on what is and not on what should or could be. My life is better when I assume that people are doing the best they can. Our life hack, God's life hack this morning, that's a series we're in, this morning is mercy over judgment. Are we leading it from mercy before we jump right into judgment? Because there are times when we need to judge. There are times we need to look at fruit and discern and make a decision. But are we going through mercy first? Last week, the life hack was obedience over sacrifice. And Mark talked about not that we never have to sacrifice, but are we walking through the lens of obedience, of listening having a relationship with the Father and looking at Scripture and hearing His voice and what is He asking me to do. And then often that leads to sacrifice, but when we flip it is when we get in trouble. And it's the same that's true of mercy over judgment. If we're not going through the lens of mercy first, we're not only judging the person, but we are suffering ourselves. (laughs) This is a Simpsons neighbor, that's right, I was at Bible camp and was learning how to be judgmental. (laughs) I actually have a story. So when I was a freshman in high school, three friends, two friends and I went to a camp, a Bible camp, actually. And there was a sermon one night, every night there was like a sermon, on the evils of rock and roll. And I'm going to date myself because one of the examples was Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And actually, had it been a while, it had been out a while. It wasn't quite that old. It had been out a while. But it was all about how it was about, like, LSD and drug use and what a terrible song it was and how evil it was and we shouldn't listen to uh, uh, the Beatles and Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. So to give you a little peek behind the curtain with, with me, what do you think my reaction to that was? So my two friends and I walked from there after the service to the snack bar singing Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds as loud as we could sing it. Because that type of sermon doesn't lead to repentance. Scripture tells us that kindness leads to the repentance. And we as a church big C, not Horizon, but as a church big C, have a reputation of being judgmental have a reputation of looking at the sin, of condemning. And the loudest voices right now sometimes just keep that going. And I want to scream, that is not how God works. You hear people say, I don't want to serve a God that's like that. And I want to say, me either. That is not the God that I serve. The God that I serve leans towards mercy, every time. And I, when I started to study this for today and went through the scriptures, I couldn't possibly read or even give you all of the references to scriptures in the Bible that compare and talk about God with compassion and mercy and how mercy has to precede judgment. I'm going to show you one from the Old Testament in Zechariah. Zechariah was a prophet. They had uh, Judah... The southern kingdom of Israel had been in Babylon, and they had come back to rebuild the temple, and the people came. One of the leaders came and said, I've fasted every year. Should I fast this year? And the response was, well, here's what God really wants. And the word of the Lord again came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. And that word justice is also judgment. Show mercy and compassion to one another. There's a semicolon there, if you can see it. For Ollie, Missy will appreciate this. Semicolons join two independent clauses, which is like two sentences, but they have to connect to each other. You can't just put two random sentences together and join them with a semicolon. So it's as if he's saying, okay, administer true justice, true judgment. Here's what it looks like. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Don't oppress the widow or the fatherless or the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. Mercy there means kindness. So justice, what does true judgment look like? Showing kindness, showing compassion. That word compassion means um, as if you're from the same womb. And it's an active word. It's not like, oh, I have some compassion for them. I feel so sorry for them. It's like you go out and do something about it. And that from the same womb, what came to me is love one another as you love yourself. As if you were the same person. You show kindness. You show compassion to one another. And don't, at the end, plot, don't devise evil or displeasure against each other. And one version adds, in your heart. So a lot of us can say, well, I... I'm very kind to everyone I'm very compassionate and in your head there's a whole nother conversation going on that includes this and the reason that people would have received this and said okay this sounds like our father this sounds like the yahweh the god of israel is this had been going um been expressed throughout scripture david and his psalms but you are oh lord are you're compassionate You're gracious, you're slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He says it again. The Lord is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. I didn't even write them all down here for you. The God of even the Old Testament led with mercy. And he ultimately showed this to us when he sent Jesus. If we look at the life of Jesus, even if we don't look at his death, which we will, but if we look at the life of Jesus, he showed mercy, he showed compassion, he showed kindness. Now, did he tell people not to sin anymore? Yes. But he led with, it went through the grid of mercy. We're going to look at one story. I could have picked a bunch of stories and parables. We're going to go with the woman who was accused of adultery. And in John, it says, At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts. This is Jesus. Where all the people gathered around him. This is super early in the morning, right? At dawn. I don't see dawn very often. My husband does. (laughs) I don't. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Put yourself in her shoes. Can you imagine? She might have been naked. She might have just grabbed the sheet off the bed. We don't know. They drag her in. And this is a temple, The temple full of people. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this as a question to trap him in order to have a basis for accusing him. A couple things here. Um, The law specifically does say if someone's caught in adultery, they are to be stoned. That says that in Leviticus. But it's both of them. It should have been the man and the woman. So they were trying to trick them here. They only have the woman there. They don't have the man involved. We don't know who he was. It was a law. The other thing going on here is in the temple at that time, they were under Roman rule. And there would have been Roman... Often Roman guards watching the temple because they didn't want a rebellion to rise up. And they were not allowed to execute anyone. The Jews were not allowed to execute anyone. I should make that clear. The Romans could. Jews were not allowed to. So Jesus is caught. Okay, the law says we should stone her. The Romans say you're not allowed to kill, execute someone, only we can. So they so the Pharisees think we got him trapped. If he says She's innocent, he's breaking the law. If he does say to Stoner, the Romans will get him. But Jesus, what did he do? I, don't you love how he always finds like the third way? Yeah. He always finds like, well, I could do the, I could condemn her. I could just say she's OK, but he, he finds a third way. He bends down and he starts writing in the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them. Let any one of you who is without sin throw the first stone. Again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. There's all kinds of speculation as to what he wrote. Maybe he was writing all the commandments to show that you guys have broken commandments too. None of us have gotten through. Maybe he was writing out what it actually said in Leviticus. Maybe he was writing out in all their sins. I've heard all kinds of things. I do think it was an extremely compassionate thing to do because not only does it get around it, but it took the focus off of this woman. So instead of looking at her, everyone started to look at the ground to see what he was writing. How compassionate is that? She, she had broken the law. They were right. She was set up for judgment. But instead of that, he takes all the attention off of her compassionately, puts it on the ground, and then he says to them, okay, whoever of you haven't broken the law, You get to throw the first stone. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time. The older ones first. I would like to say they're wiser. Hopefully they were, but the the younger Pharisees would have been looking at the older ones like, what are we going to do? They left first, so everyone left with them until only Jesus was left with the woman. How many times have we been condemned and the only one left with us is Jesus? Jesus. Still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Has no one judged you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. So he got to judgment. He got discernment. He got to the point where, okay, this needs to stop, but how did he get there? He got there through mercy. And let me just throw something out there This was not only merciful for her, it was merciful for the Pharisees. Let me show you what I mean by that. Um, So Jesus talked in Matthew, and he says this a couple different places. Don't judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged with the measure you use. It will be measured to you. He actually was almost as if, maybe, this is my speculation, he was protecting them too. Because if they had said, all right, let's stone her, let's go, get all the crowd involved, he's protecting the crowd from judging her and then reaping back what they had sowed. That measure is like an actual like ruler, like a measurement uh, thing, I know there's a better word than think, but measure it. So if you judge, how much you judge that person without going through mercy gets measured. Let's say it's three feet. You're going to get three feet of judgment back on you because Scripture is full of we reap what we sow. So why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye? When all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. How often are we judging whether it's verbally or just internally? How often, maybe we have parents that we said, I will never be like them. And suddenly we find ourselves repeating what we hate. Maybe we are sowing judgment on them and Reaping back to the measure that we've judged. He said it a different way in Luke. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So not only can judgment come back, rebound back on us, and maybe Jesus and how he treated this woman with adultery was protecting the people around him, saying, don't judge her, don't do this, don't stone her, because it's going to come back on you. But what does he say? If we forgive, we release. If we set free, we will be released. We will be set free. Does that mean whoever has wronged you, you may have a very legitimate reason for judging. Does that mean they're off the hook? No. What you're saying is, I'm not in a position to judge. I'm going to let God judge. I'm going to let him take care of it. I'm going to release them. And then I'm free. I don't have to sit in that judge's seat anymore. I can let God take care of it. And guess what happens? We get it back, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. This, this is a reference to in the market. If you were going to go buy, like, barley. That sounds like a Bible thing, right? Barley. Um, you were going to go barley. You would bring your jar. And the, you bought it by the volume that fit in that jar. You didn't buy it by the weight. So they would pour the barley in. They would press down, almost like you do with brown sugar. They would press it down, they would shake it, pour more in, press it down, shake it, pour more in, press it down, shake it, until you got as much as you could possibly get in. And they would keep pouring so it would overflow. And the guy would have an apron often, and the overflow would go in the apron. That's what that word, lap, means. So what's God saying? If you forgive, if you release, if you don't judge, and you don't condemn, and you forgive... And you show mercy, guess what's coming back? It's gonna be pressed down, shaken, and overflowing into your lap back to you. What does it look like in real life to do this? Sounds so easy for me to say it from up here, doesn't it? Well, let's look at what happens if I put judgment before mercy. We're making assumptions. We're making a lot of assumptions about that person studies have shown we tend to attribute our behavior to environment and other people's behavior to their character let, let me tell you what I mean so if I'm in the in the office and I'm snappy like okay I got it leave me alone right what do I want people to assume about me had a bad day I didn't sleep last night. Something happened with the kids the day before. But what do I often assume about the coworker who snaps at me? They're mean, right? They don't have any self-control. They're lazy. We start condemning them. We start judging them. We start, say, you know, bringing down a sentence on them. When we put judgment first, we are assuming a lot of things about that person's situation. About their character. We feel judged ourselves. Often we've grown up in a house that judged. And that's what the record that's in our mind, the recording in our head, the tapes in our head. Is that this this is just how the world works. And we start repeating that. We're acting out of our insecurity. Sometimes judging people, we don't even realize it. Subconsciously, we're making ourselves feel better. How often has somebody who, like, lost a lot of weight, right? They figured out for them, they've lost a lot of weight, right? And so they have this insecurity about that, even though they've, they are doing better now. But, man, are they judging everybody else? You don't have self-control. You need to give up. At what it carbs right you need to go on hole 30 if you had self-control and went on hole 30 then you would figure it out a lot of it is based out of our own insecurity we usually judge others in areas where we feel weakest because guess who judges us judges us the harshest ourselves and that spills out out of the heart words are spoken out of the heart it starts spilling out all over everybody And ultimately, we are not trusting God. If someone has deeply hurt us, we are saying, I need to get in the judge's seat. I need the prosecuting attorney. I'm the judge. I'm the jury. I'm bringing down the sentence. And you are condemned because I don't trust God to judge for me because he's taken too long. Romans 2, 1 through 4 says, you therefore have no excuse. He's talking to believers. He had just gone through a bunch of sins in Romans 1. And then he's having this kind of imaginary conversation in Romans. You therefore have no excuse. You pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you are again condemning yourself because you pass judgment, do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. That truth there is... That he knows the real idea. We don't know people's truth. I've lived with my husband for 38 years. I don't know his truth. I know better than most of you, but I don't know everything. The only person that knows everything about him is his Father in heaven. So, how can I judge? So when you're a mere human being past judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for what? What you've received, the riches of kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Those words there, what is God like? Kindness, it's a useful kindness. Again, it's not a compassion like, I'm so sorry for you. It's actually coming in and helping and doing something for you. It's forbearance, suspending or delaying. God suspends or delays judgment. Gosh, am I thankful for that. But it's super hard when I think somebody else needs to get what they deserve. Right? That last one, patience, really means properly long passion, waiting sufficient time before expressing anger. Ouch. That one, that's a tough one, right? But aren't you thankful God does that with us? That he waits the proper time because his kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. It, it, it can't make us repent. But he gives us time to get there, to lead us there, to the point where we're ready to turn around. So what does it look like the other way? What if we put mercy first? We're looking beyond behavior. We're sitting with that person and saying, okay, they completely overreacted to this. Why? Or... They are dealing with this addiction. They can't get over it. I'm going to look beyond that behavior into why. What led up to this? What surrounds us? That way, I'm looking through mercy first. I'm exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. I'm allowing the Holy Spirit within me to have the same kind of patience and kindness and gentleness that God has for us. And I'm confident in my identity to Christ. I'm not doing it out of insecurity. I know who I am as a daughter of the king, as a daughter in the house of my father, that I can trust him to take care of it. And we're trusting God to be the judge. I don't want to sit in that scene anymore. I want to let him be the one on the throne. I want him to be the one judging. Ephesians says, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression, even when our behavior was abhorrent and we were messing up and we were cycling in and out of negative things over and we were dealing with addictions and we were dealing with all kinds of issues. When we were dead, it's by grace you've been saved. He loved us. And God raised, up with Christ, raised us up with Christ and seated us with, with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It is out of that knowledge of the kindness to us, the riches of His grace, the grace that has saved us, that we can then give that to somebody else. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, somebody I know who's an employer um, has employees working for this person, and they had an employee that was dealing with anger all the time. So, It was starting to spill over with um, people they worked with, customers they dealt with. This this anger started to spill out all over the place. This employer is a believer. And instead of firing that person, which a lot of people in that business wanted the employer to fire that person, this person who was a believer, the believer said, let's get him some help. Let's pay for him to have some counseling. Let's help him figure out. This guy's not a believer, but let's help him figure out where is this anger coming from. So they paid for him to have anger management um, counseling. I would like to say there was a complete turnaround. My understanding was there's some of a turnaround, but it's still ongoing. But if they end up firing that person later, letting that person go because things didn't work out. They got to that judgment, but what did they go through? Mercy. We can do this. Let's say you work with someone and they're stealing from the employer you work with. I mean, you, really, you have to report that, right? But do you report it in a way that you say, this person is a thief, this person is bad, this person is evil, this person's got to go, I can't believe you still have them on the payroll, you need to get rid of them. Or do we go, I think I saw this, but I don't know what's going on in their life where they felt like they needed to do that. So you, you don't get to make the decision, but you can present that through the lens of mercy. You don't have to. Pre- you can think through how to present it in a way that boasts of the grace that you received. So let's go back to that person that we thought about at the beginning. It's driving you crazy. Makes you just. I had a friend I taught with who would tell the kids, "You are plucking my last nerve." <laughs> so who is plucking your last nerve? Think about that person. What if they're doing the best they can? What if you are judging them on behavior and condemning their character as opposed to, gosh, what situation are they in? What's going on with them? What if they're doing the best they can? What if I've been judging them? Often we preach sermons and say, you know, here's how you live, here's what you do, and then you're like, yeah, but... I got this guy I work with, and I've been judging, or I live with this roommate, or my spouse, or my kids, or my mother. Don't judge your mother. But what, what if I've been judging? What do I do? first thing to do is to ask forgiveness. Now, let me just put, like, a fine print clause here. If they don't know you've been judging them, don't, don't, don't. I'm so sorry. I've been judging that you just are lazy, and and they had no idea that that may make you feel better. It's not going to make them feel better. Don't do that. Just ask your father for forgiveness. But if they know you've been judging, if they can feel it, if they've been, you've been feeling that you're reaping what you're sowing, ask them for forgiveness. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you see them as God sees them, because He's the one who knows their truth. Support what God is doing in their lives. Look for glimpses of kindness, of grace, of God working in their life. And encourage and feed that as opposed to feeding what you're judging. And release them to God. Release them to God. I can't, I can't be responsible for all the people that drive me crazy. It's exhausting. Release them to God. So one way to do that, I have this prayer here. I don't know if you, I will put this on Facebook for you, um, or you can screenshot it, screenshot it. Um, But this is a prayer that if you have somebody in your life that you're really judging, that you need to ask forgiveness, you need to release them, you need to be like, how can I do that? Father, forgive me for the judgments that I've made against my coworker, my roommate, my sister, my dad. In the name of Jesus, I now release the following judgments that I made against them. You know, they don't have self-control. They're mean. They're bitter. Whatever the list is. I choose to forgive as I have been forgiven. I now choose to forgive. And remember, that means, it doesn't mean what they did was okay. It's releasing them. I release this person. I break the judgments that have been released against me. As a result of my judging, I bring the power of cross to bear upon these judgments that I've made. I pray that their power will be broken today in my life. I cancel the effect of sowing and reaping judgment in my life. I choose now to measure. Is that measurement? I measure by grace and have grace return. So pressed down, shaken, and overflowing to me. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to circle back to Jesus. James 2 tells us that mercy triumphs over judgment. How can I say that? Because I know about the cross. When, Jesus, when God saw us and said, gosh, I love these people, but they are messing up. They're not obeying. They're being angry. They're being hateful. They're uh, worshiping idols. They're spending all their time doing things, distracting them. Did he go to judgment right away? Did he say, therefore, they are horrible, bad people? No, he said, they are in an environment where evil is trying to kill, steal, and destroy from them and coming at them all the time. They are in an environment. They they need that environment changed. So rather than the character, they're looking at the situation. And God says, I'm going to send my son into that situation. And he's going to live there. And he's going to show us what it looks like to to go from mercy to love. And then he's going to get on the cross and he's going to defeat that environment. He's going to defeat evil and death and sin. He's going to defeat it and sickness and chains will be broken. And because of going through the cross, through that mercy, we don't have to face judgment. And we don't have to give judgment. You know what that triumph means? I like football. Do you like football? I know not everybody. Sorry, Ashley. This is a. Oh, she laughed. Good. <laughs> Ashley doesn't like sports references. I love football. But what this triumph means, that word means in the Greek, is as if the defensive lineman came through, sacked the quarterback, stood over the quarterback, and said, lah! have you ever seen that? Right? Or an NBA player dunks the basketball and he's swinging on the rims. Ah! He's triumphing. He's boasting in his, that he triumphed over that, right? That is what mercy is doing. That is what mercy did on the cross. That is what Jesus, when that song said, the roaring lion came out of the grave. He stepped over evil and judgment and said, Ah! No more. No more. And it is out of that that we can show mercy to others. It is out of that. And if you don't feel that, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't feel like mercy has triumphed over in your life, gosh, start following him today. Say yes to that mercy today. If the music can come up, we're going to end in prayer. So let me just pray for you now. I know it's weird. It's a weird thing I do. It's a teacher thing. I make you stand up. But teachers like to get people up and moving and join things, right? Participating. You're going to have to stand to sing anyway, so I'm going to have you stand. And let's just pray. Father, we thank you that your mercy triumphed over judgment for us. We thank you that the echo of that roar when you triumphed continues through the rest of time. Father, if anyone here doesn't know that yet, doesn't feel that yet, hasn't started following you yet, Lord, I pray that they will. And Lord, for those of us that are feeling heavy because we know we've been judging people, I pray just to release your mercy. Lord, you are so amazing. You, You show mercy to the judgmental. You show mercy to the judgmental. So, Lord, I just pray for your mercy. And I pray that that will get so deep in our bones and in our heart that we will just not be unable to stop the mercy coming out of our mouth. That we will walk in that. We will live in that. We will know it. We will feel it. We will speak it. We will bring it into rooms with us. In Jesus' name, amen.